0: Last week you may remember that our attention was given to uh, Sarah and the example that she was as a person of faith. And we know that the reason from what the scripture tells us that she was uh, identified as a person of faith is because she judged or determined or considered him faithful who had promised. And so there was Sarah who came to a point in her life where she recognized, where she determined that God was faithful and that God does what he says he's going to do. And I said that that's an interesting statement about her because when you read through much of her life, what she realized is that she was a woman who struggled with her faith. She was one who struggled with whether or not God was going to do as he really said. And so what I liked about the story and what I tried to bring to our attention was this, is that the past or how she had been Uh, in previous days did not define who Sarah became in her walk with the Lord and how she ended as a person of faith. And I find that encouraging, and I want to say it again tonight, I find that encouraging because that reminds me that my past does not have to define my future. And so though I have struggled in the past with faith, though I have struggled at times in believing that God would do everything that he has said he is going to do, I am thankful that that does not have to define who I am in the days and weeks and months ahead. I can be a person of faith if I come to the same conclusion in my life that Sarah came in her life, that God is faithful and he does what he says he's going to do. So with that as the backdrop, we're going to enter in, obviously, to a new message tonight. I want to begin this evening by talking about something that we have considered before, We have uh, thought about this in times past. You know this to be true. I just want us to think about it tonight. For those of us who are parents, for those of us who have raised small children, here is what we know. There are just some things that we do not have to teach our children. You would agree with that, would you not? There are just some things we do not have to teach our children. Whenever you and I brought our children home, whenever we brought our children from the hospital to our house, we never looked at our spouse and said something like this. Who will teach them to lie? Who will teach them to lie? Who will teach them to to tell things that are not true? Who will teach them to make up things? We never worried about that, did we? Because if we thought about it, here's what we knew. They'll figure that one out on their own. Hello? Did you have to explain to your kids how to lie? No, you never had to set them down. Okay, now in a situation like this, here's what you want to say. No, it just came natural for them. Okay, you didn't have to teach them this. It is something that came completely natural for them. You certainly never had to teach them how to be selfish, did you? You never had to say, now listen, kids, when when you go to the nursery today at church, here's what you want to do. You want to get all the toys you want and not let anybody else share with you. No, that was something that just came natural to them. That was something that was just as normal for them as anything. Isn't it amazing how you don't have to teach a child to lie? You don't have to teach them how to be selfish? You never had to teach your children to say things they shouldn't say. You never had to say, now, now this would be a wonderful time for you to smart off to your mother. That just kind of came natural. You, you never had to say to them, you know, this would be a good time for you to have an attitude. This would be a wonderful time for you to roll your eyes at me. No, they just, they just knew this is the appropriate, well, I mean, okay, they thought that it was the appropriate time to do that, but you didn't have to teach them when to think that it was the appropriate time. Okay, so so there are so many things in life that just come natural for our children that we've never had to worry about whether or not they would pick up on it. So whether it be lying or being selfish or saying things they shouldn't say or having an attitude, and the list could go on and on. So I say that to say this tonight, that there is something else about children that you never had to teach them, and that is this, you never had to teach them to struggle with fear and doubt. You never had to teach your children this would be a good time to be afraid and this would be a good time to doubt. Think about it for just a moment, and I'm sure I've used this in times past, but think about it if you've ever done something like this with your kids or your grandkids. Did you ever stand them up on maybe the countertop in the kitchen or maybe in the bathroom and you stood them there and you said, now jump? You didn't have to teach them to say, no way. No way. Because instinctively they had this measure of fear about them and instinctively they doubted whether or not you would catch them. If you ever took your child to a pool where there was a slide and and you got them up to the top and you said, okay, now slide down to dad at the bottom, he'll catch you. You probably, if you had kids like mine, you probably didn't have to teach them to look at you like, there's no way. Because fear and doubt are instinctive in the hearts of every person to some extent. So a child is born with that. You don't have to teach it. You don't have to nurture it. You don't have to try to to bring it along. It's just something that is born in the heart and mind of a child. So that being said, what has to happen with the child over the course of time as it relates to their doubt and their fear? Well, this is what has to happen. They have to develop some trust and some confidence, don't they? You all act like you've never raised any kids. Could you at least like nod or something? I mean, when you're dealing with your kids, have you ever had to develop some trust and some confidence in them towards you? Of course, okay, so at some point you almost had to push them off the countertop to prove to them you would catch them. At some point, somebody at the top of the slide had to push them down to prove to them that when they got to the bottom of the slide, you would catch them and that they weren't going to go under, they weren't going to drown. You had to develop with them some trust and some confidence. But again, if your situation's anything like mine, then here's what you know. That once you've got that doubt and fear taken care of and you have established that trust, you can ask almost anything of them, and they're just silly enough to do it. I know I've said this in times past, but I remember when Nathan was little. We were living over at the trailer house, and I would stand him on top of the counter in the kitchen, and I would say, jump. And there was a point where he was like, I'm not jumping. Mom, do I have to jump? And, you know, he was only like 10 or 11. I'm not sure what he was. I'm just kidding. He was, he was like two, two and a half, something like that, okay? So, I mean, he would look at Susie somewhat distressed, like, I, I don't want to do this. But then, once I had established some trust and some confidence with him, this is how the routine would normally go. He'd say, scoot back. So I'd scoot back a little bit, and he'd say, further. Okay. And he'd say, scoot back more, Dad. And then there's the point where I'd say, no, dummy, I can't move that quick. Now, what's my point? My point is this. There was fear and there was doubt. I didn't have to teach him to have those things. It just came natural. But once I established some confidence or established some credibility with him that gave him some confidence, he would do almost anything I told him to do. And that's how it works with children and their parents, is it not? It's how it ought to work. It would be a terrible thing if we said, hey kid, jump, and then we didn't catch him. We would expect them to not trust us after that. So all that in mind, look in Genesis chapter 22. We're just going to read these verses and then we're going to jump over to Hebrews 11. In Genesis chapter 22, verse number 21, the attention is obviously on Abraham, and that's what we'll be looking at tonight when we get to Hebrews 11. In Genesis 22, it says this, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, or test, or try Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, or here I am. So here is Abraham, and after some events in Abraham's life, God is going to test him, going to try him. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he, that being God, said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, notice what it says next, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So the command is fairly simple, is it not? The command is fairly uh, clear. God says to Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your only son, the son that you love, I want you to take him to Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And notice what it says next in verse number 3. It says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for burnt offerings and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. So God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, I want you to travel to Moriah, this place that that I want you to go to. And when you reach the mountain that I will show you or which I will tell thee of, I want you to go and I want you to there offer up your son as a sacrifice unto me. And in verse number 3, he rose up early in the morning and he began to do, he began to go, he began to set out on what he had been commanded to do. Now, this evening, I want to just mention a couple of things, okay? And we'll get to Hebrews 11 in just a moment. There is no way that I, as a pastor or as a person in general, could ever explain to you in a way that would satisfy you or that would satisfy myself why God chose to test Abraham in this manner. I simply don't understand it. Why would God ever suggest or recommend such a thing other than to see how much Abraham feared or honored or reverenced the Lord? The Scripture does give that indication. But as it says in verse number 2, it says Isaac was his only son and that Abraham loved him. I want us to think about this. As you read through the story in Genesis, here's what you find you find that Isaac was old enough to help carry the burden of the wood that would be used in the offering. So, Isaiah, or not Isaiah, but, but Isaac is not just a small child right now. He's probably at least a teenager. Some assume or suspect that he was maybe in his 20s. But here's what I want us to think about Abraham has not only had the joy of becoming a father to Isaac. He has had the joy of developing a relationship with him over several years. And I think any honest parent would have to admit that while there is an immediate bond with your children as soon as they are born, while there is an instant measure of love with your child as soon as they are born, I think every one of us would say this, that the older our children get, the more we love them and the more that we're attached to them and obviously the more affection that we have for them. It should be that way. And so I look at my kids and I think, okay, I mean, first of all, again, I could never understand why God would seek to test Abraham in a manner like that, so I can't imagine what that must have been like But I certainly cannot imagine what it would be like at this stage of life with teenagers, what it would be like to say, kids, we're going. And for one of the kids to say, well, where is the offering? And for me to have to know in the back of my mind that unless God intervenes, you are the offering. I can't grasp it. I can't explain it. But that's what God required of Abraham. Now turn over real quick, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 says this By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, That in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So we understand, if you know the story at all, and from what we just read in Genesis chapter 22, we understand that Isaac was the promised child that was given to Abraham and Sarah. It was not Ishmael who was brought about through his relationship with Hagar. Isaac was the promised child that God was going to raise up the nation of Israel through Abraham, then through Isaac, then through Jacob, and the descendants and the lineage of Jacob. You understand that, do you not? Okay, and so it is Isaac who was the promised one, and it is Isaac who is the one who was going to be sacrificed. And as you keep that in mind, keep this in mind as well, that Isaac had no children at that moment so if isaac is the promised one and yet isaac has no children well then we know that the seed or the name or the lineage is not going to be continued as a result of a sacrifice so there have got to be many different thoughts and many different ideas running through the or through the head of abraham but it says by faith in verse number 17 that Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Now, again, we read in chapter 22 of Genesis that on the next day in the morning, he rose up early and he began to act in obedience to what God had commanded him to do. Now, let's be honest, and and, and I I don't want to keep saying that, but I want us to, to think about this. Abraham was a normal man just like you and I, was he not? He had his own faults, he had his own failures, he had his own struggles, he had his own issues that he dealt with. And you can read his story and you can see just how human he was. But it says in verse number 17 that because of his faith, he did what he was commanded by God to do. So as we read through this, I don't know about you, but the question that I asked is, how in the world Was Abraham able to do this? So, in verse number 19, I believe good insight is given. Because in verse number 19, it says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, I don't understand that last phrase completely from whence also he received him in a figure. I did some reading on it, and I would say okay to what certain people have said. But here's what I do know in verse number 19, that the reason that Abraham moved with faith and did as he was commanded to do in offering up his only son whom he loved is because he accounted that God was able or capable to raise Isaac up What does it mean to account something It means to reckon Or to suppose Or to come to this Conclusion How old was Abraham when Isaac was born He was a hundred years old How old was Isaac when Abraham was given the orders to sacrifice him? We don't know for sure, but again, he was old enough to to be able to carry some of this burden of the wood that would serve as the platform for the offering. And so we come to verse number 19, and from what it says, they began this trip, and for three days they were in this trip Again, from Genesis chapter 22. They were involved in this trip for three days. They eventually get to where they're going. The platform is built. And Isaac is on the altar. Abraham's hand is back, ready to slay his son. And it's then that the Lord stops and intervenes. Abraham, how could you do such a thing? Because he determined, he reckoned, he came to this conclusion. That my God has the ability to raise him up. If I slay him today and do what God has commanded me to do. Get this, if I slay him, if I give up my son, my only son whom I love, here is what I am convinced of, Abraham would say, that because he is the child of promise, because he is the one that we have waited on, because he is who the Lord said we were going to have, here is what Abraham was determined of in his heart, that if I follow through with this and slay him, God is capable and able and will raise up my son. Friends, that is faith. That is faith on so many levels that I can't begin to understand, that I can't begin to comprehend. But when you think about this as well, it just magnifies, in my opinion, the amount of faith that Abraham uh, exercised To this point in history, there was no example of God ever raising up anyone from the dead. At this point in the history of mankind that we have recorded for us, there is no record of God ever doing what Abraham was convinced God could and would do. So when you think about the scenario in and of itself, you say, or at least I do, that is an amazing display of faith. But when you also consider that he had nothing by which to reference it with that God could or that God had or that God would, again, it only magnifies how much faith he had because I'm telling you right now, I don't care what the circumstances are. There would never be a time in my life where I would think this is what God wants me to do and that he would raise him or her up if I did such. Does that make sense? I just, I I don't have that much faith. So I asked myself, and and maybe this will connect with some of us, maybe it won't, I don't know, but I asked myself uh, just a a question or two, and, and it was this, more than anything, How? How did Abraham come to this kind of conclusion in his life? What would bring him to such a place in his life? Because here's what I think, if Abraham was normal, I would think that there would have to be a little bit of fear in this process. There would have to be a struggle of the mind. I mean, have I heard you correctly, Lord? I mean, it just seems so weird. It just seems so odd. It seems so peculiar. And and yet, here is Abraham doing it. How did he reach this measure of faith? This is the answer I come up with. If you want to take issue with it or choose something else, you've certainly got the freedom to do so. But here is what seems to at least have some credibility to it by way of explanation. that in the 115 years or whatever roughly Abraham had lived at that point, his heavenly father, that being God, had proved himself and had established some credibility with him. That over the years, Abraham had had seen how God had worked and how God had moved and, and how God had yet to fail and how God had provided. I mean, I don't know if this is all that went into the process, but it seems to me, just looking at my children and how I developed their trust and their confidence over the years through certain situations and certain instances, To the point I could get them to do ridiculous, silly things. It seems like to me that over the hundred plus years that Abraham had lived, that God had developed such trust and confidence in the heart and mind of Abraham that whenever God said, offer Isaac up as a sacrifice, Abraham said, I can trust you, Lord. I can place my confidence in you that if I slay the child of promise, you are capable to raise him up. As I thought about that this evening, or this week rather, for this evening, I asked myself just a couple of things, again, that I want to present to you and consider it. That's all I ask you to do tonight is consider it. I asked myself this question does God still test his children? And I believe the answer is yes. I believe that there are times, I believe that there are seasons in which God allows you and I to be tested to see where we're at. I think sometimes there are Instances where God allows us to be tested in our health, maybe in the area of finances, maybe in times of uncertainty with certain situations, I don't think that any of us would argue and I don't think any of us would question and I don't think any of us would suggest otherwise that God does not allow us to be tested in those areas. But this evening I also think that this is true. That sometimes we grow attached to things. And we love them. And I'm not necessarily saying that it's wrong to love certain things. But I think here's what God does to us sometimes. He tests us to see if we are willing to give up what is precious to us. Does this make any sense at all? You know, he may test us as it relates to our finances and allow things to go wrong. He may test us in our health and allow issues to rise up that we don't want to deal with. It could be a number of things. But I think sometimes, here's what happens. God says, I want you to sacrifice that. And I want you to give that to me. And whenever I look at my life, you know what I have to admit? I struggle. Because of doubts. And because of fears, and because of so many other sin issues in my life. I don't know if you need the illustration or if you need some examples to help you understand what I'm trying to say. But have you ever wanted something in life that in and of itself it wasn't a bad thing to want? But as you wanted it, God said, sacrifice it, give it up, let me have it back. Have you ever had a dream? Have you ever had an ambition that was that was something that you wanted and there was, again, nothing wrong with it in and of itself, but... But that's really what you wanted. And the Lord said, okay, I I know that that's what you want. I know that's what your dream is. I know that that's what your ambition is. I know that that's what your desire is. I know that. But within your heart and mind, you knew the Lord was saying, I want that. And you're going to have to sacrifice it in order for me to have it. If it's ever happened to you, here's what you know. That can be a tough battle of the will sometimes, because I want that. God, this is what I've waited for all my life. God, this is what I've been working toward. I mean, God, up to this point, this is what I, I mean. This, God, this is what I want. I'm testing you. Do you trust me well, well, I mean you know i I look to people like do, do I have to Because I want somebody to be standing there beside me saying, "No, you don't have to, no, you don't have to jump, no, no, you don't have to slide, no, no, you don't you don't have to do that, no, you don't have to give that up, no, you don't have to sacrifice it no, I got. I don't know how else to say this without being too specific, but sometimes there are just certain things that I want that God says, no, I want that, and I'm wrestling with God saying, but God, I I don't want to give this up. Because I'm afraid that if I give up what I want, that somehow it's not going to work out for me the way I want it to. There have been times, kind of like this morning's message, there have been times that God has said to me, not in audible words, obviously, but he said to me, hey, I want more of your resources. You know that which I've already given you, I want it back. But God... See, I've already got this account set up to where, you know, Lord, we've already earmarked this. You know, we, we've already got this designated to take our resources and get this. Yeah, I want that, Kyle. Babe, do you think I'm crazy? Babe, do you, do you think that that's really what the Lord wants? Babe, do you? And, and I hate it when she says something like this. I don't know that's between you and him. Because here's what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, no, I I don't think that's really what is supposed to happen. No, I don't think that's really what you're supposed to do. Can I just be honest with you? There are times that when God says, I want some of your resources, there are times that I'm saying, I just, I don't know. I'm struggling with this. I'm wrestling with it. It's our wants, or for me at least, it's the wants, it's the dreams, it's ambitions, it's desires, it's resources, it's time. I've got right here in my notes, though not anything at all like what Abraham experienced. I've got my children written down. Because, see, I have certain dreams and ambitions for my children. I have certain things that I want to see them accomplish. I have certain things that, that I want to see them do. And there are certain things that Susie and I have, have been mindful of as we've been raising our children. There are just certain things that, that we want out of our children. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever wrestled with this as your kids got older or if you're wrestling with it now with smaller kids at the house but there are just times that there are certain thoughts that pass through my mind of things that God may want to do with my kids. And there are times that I just say to myself, but Lord, that's not what I want for them. God, that's not what I desire for them. And so again, I'm kind of like that two-year-old on top of the countertop. God, I'm fearful that if I give up what you're telling me to give up, that this isn't going to work out too well for me. God, I'm afraid, and God, if I'm just honest, I'm wrestling with my own doubt that if I just follow through and, and do what you've told me to do, God, I am, I'm, I'm terrified that somehow this isn't going to work out the way that I would hope it would work out. I'd much rather sometimes him test me with finances or health or some situation than for him to say to me, Kyle, give this up. Because I've got a pretty tight grip on these things that mean something to me. Are we connecting with this at all tonight? And you know what I struggle to to realize sometimes? That the God that Abraham knew was capable of raising his son up. Here's what I struggle with. I struggle to believe that I can leap, that I can jump, that I can do whatever he tells me to do, And God is going to catch me every time. He will do exactly in that situation what needs to be done. And I struggle to remember that not one time has he ever failed one of his children any time they have been obedient to do what he tells them to do. And what's even more disappointing in my struggle is this. I know he's never dropped me. And I still struggle. I know he's been faithful to you, but see, that's not good enough. I want to know that he's been faithful to me. And then I have to say, well, you big dummy, when has he dropped you? And then I'm like, well, he hasn't. But I'm still scared. Here is Abraham, what an amazing example of faith because he was willing to take his only son that he loved up to a mountain that God would show him and he was willing to sacrifice him to the Lord because he truly believed, I can do this and God, if nothing else, will raise him from the dead and I'll take him back down the mountain with me and it'll be as though it never happened. That is some kind of faith. And if you and I want that kind of faith where we are able to give up anything the Lord says I want you to give up, then we have got to keep it fresh on our minds, and we have got to keep it in the forefront of our minds that anything he asks us to give up, God will take care of, God will provide, and God will meet by way of need. I don't have to doubt him. You don't have to doubt him. There is no reason for us to ever doubt him. And yet how many times do we wrestle? How many times do we struggle? And you may sit here this morning or this evening and you may say, well, brother Kyle, I'm not doubting him. I know. But I think here's the catch for most of us. We're not doubting him yet. Because for most of us, certain things come along. And that's when the old doubt kicks in. And that's when the fear kicks in. And that's when we begin to wrestle. And I just want to remind us that God is capable. And God is able. And God will never ask us to give up something that he cannot fully take care of the situation and provide for us exactly what we need, how we need it, or any other situation. All right? I don't know if you need it tonight, but you may need it in the future. But our God can be trusted. We can place our confidence in him that he is capable of doing anything we need him to do. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know if there's someone in the room tonight who may be wrestling with something that you are telling them to give up. God, they may be looking at something that we would never imagine they are wrestling with. But right now, because they're your child, they're wrestling with it. And they've got this doubt and they've got this fear and they don't quite want to let go just yet. Would you help us tonight to be reminded that we can do whatever you tell us to do and we can seem to give up anything you tell us to give up and that you can take care of the situation far better than we could ever imagine. God, if it's not tonight that we're wrestling with it but it happens in the days or weeks to come, I pray that somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would remind us of the example of Abraham. That over the years, you proved yourself faithful to him. And God, if we'd be honest, that over the years, you have proved yourself faithful to us. And there is no reason to doubt, and there is no reason to be fearful. That we simply need to respond in obedience to whatever you tell us to do. I pray that you'd help me, Lord to practice what I have preached tonight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.